Justin Jefferson didn't sign an extension before the season started. Is he mad? The Vikings mad? Are you mad? Am I mad? Should I be mad? Welcome to the Locked on Vikings podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked on Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Luke Braun, and let's find some joy today. You can find the Locked On Vikings podcast wherever you find your favorite shows, whether it is a place like Sirius XM, where you can listen on the radio to all of the Vikings games, and as, as well as all of the Locked On shows. We're partnered with them. You can find the show on YouTube as well, or Amazon Fire and Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Thank you so much to my hashtag everydayers. Those of you who do listen to this show every single day, I appreciate y'all so much. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. So today on the show... Uh, I want to go over some of the tape from the Bucks game, but also we haven't really gotten a chance to talk about some of the contract stuff that has happened since uh, this weekend. Justin Jefferson not signing an extension. Josh Metellus does sign an extension. We have more details on that, so I'm going to give you that, as well as some observations on offense and defense from the Bucks game. But let's start with the JJ thing. So on Saturday, uh, Justin Jefferson... It was reported by Adam Schefter that Justin Jefferson and the Vikings were not going to sign a contract. I want to kind of compile all the information in one place so we get all can get on the same page on exactly what the situation is. So uh, Mike Florio reported that like three hours before that tweet came out that the Vikings had an offer from uh, Justin Jefferson's camp and that the ball was in the Vikings' court. And then a little bit later... They, the report came out, and I want to be very clear here. The report is not that Justin Jefferson isn't going to sign an extension. The report is he isn't going to sign an extension until at least the end of the season. He's not doing it right now. Like, that's an important distinction. Um, people are treating it as though he's not going to sign it. And we're going, all right, who's he getting traded to? Like, it's over. No, no. It was like right there in the tweet. They said they're going to revisit this after the season. They're going to keep going on it later, but they're just going to focus on the season for now. That's all that is. Uh, so, and that's one thing that I think people are overreacting to. And I get it, right? Moss got traded. Diggs got traded. We're, we're, all real, we, we're all real wounded here, all right? We're all real traumatized. But guess what? Justin Jefferson isn't Moss and isn't Diggs. Uh, all wide receivers aren't the same. Do they all look the same to you? You should probably check yourself on that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Actually, no, I'm, I'm not sorry. Um, so now we're in this world where every time Justin Jefferson gets in front of the media, he's got to field 1600 questions about his contract. And the answer is always the same. It's, hey, you know, are you upset that there isn't a contract? No, not really. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're playing football games. I don't care about it. You know, hey, when, when do you think you'll get it? I don't know. We're playing football games. I don't care about it. Now he's getting questions. Do you think you got the ball enough? And do you think... And Jefferson has been about as patient as I could ever expect somebody to be with all of this. It, it seems like uh, like there is this underlying idea that if there is a contract situation that didn't go exactly by the book, which this did not, 
uh, that there, there simply must be some underlying frustration and anger. After all, that's what all the other wide receivers did. And I just, I don't know. I, I don't really see it. Um, Jefferson got like 150 yards and a bunch of targets. Like, I don't think there's going to be a problem with his usage, right? I think his only problem with that game is that they didn't win it. And we kind of want him to have that problem, right? So we, we have to sort of move our goalposts a little bit, right? It, it, it Usually this kind of thing gets done at the beginning of a given camp. Uh, or over the course of camp at some point, that didn't happen, right? Uh, sometimes this stuff gets done in the middle of the season, but the reports are that that's not going to be the way the Vikings handle this. And I reiterate that Justin Jefferson had an offer on the Vikings desk that said, I would be happy to play for this one. And the Vikings said no to it. So they just want to keep negotiating and they just want to say, hey, let's, you know, let's keep figuring some other things out. We haven't solved all the problems with this yet. Um, that's perfectly fair and valid. And here is the deal. I think everybody is reacting to this by comparing it to the possibility of Justin Jefferson getting like traded to Cincinnati, which I think is a, a, a way, 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 way further away scenario than something like Justin Jefferson signing an extension, but later. And that might cost extra money because, you know, maybe Jamar Chase will have signed his extension by then. And then, you know, the, the price goes up or whatever, but it also defers an extra year. So you're just signing it in a different cap environment. And so you have to just use percentage of cap and, sort of compare there. Somebody uh, was, was asking me like, what, you know, what, like if the cap goes up and Jefferson's price goes up, isn't that like fine? And that's a pretty fair point. Um, so I was looking at like some of the, the contract reporting and stuff. And I, I was looking at what this could be. Let's hazard a guess that the contract that the Vikings turned down was 31 and a half million dollars per year on average, and who knows about the guarantee structure and stuff, which is another thing uh, that might be a sticking point. But just to keep things simple, let's say 31 and a half, that is roughly 13% of the cap, or I think 14% of the cap, somewhere in there. Uh, so keep that number in mind, uh, 13 or 14% of the cap. If Jefferson signs a contract next year, and it's 15 or 16% of the cap, then either the Vikings got burned by waiting, or my guess was really wrong. If it's 11% of the cap, because the cap went way up more than we thought, then maybe waiting helped. Now, I think waiting is going to help the player, because the player doesn't care what percentage of the cap he has, right? He cares that uh, how much money he actually gets. So signing in a later environment, good for Justin Jefferson. And, and choosing to wait advantages Jefferson way more than it advantages the Vikings. That's a win for JJ. Unfortunately, we'll never get to know exactly what the Vikings turned down. We'll just kind of have to speculate and hazard guesses. Um, but another Florio speculation thing, and this feels like it might be a decent guess, is that the Vikings don't want to do enough uh, year ahead rolling guarantees. So a lot of contracts will have rolling guarantees in them where, hey, you know, at the beginning of the league year 2026, all your 2026 money uh, fully guarantees. But if at the beginning of the league year 2026, all your 2027 money guarantees, that's functionally very much guaranteed. Like you're going to see that money uh, because usually your money for that year has already guaranteed. So cutting you is impossible and that date's going to pass and you're going to get your guarantees vested. Um, it's a very common Briz move. And it seems like uh, Florio is, I don't know if he's reporting or speculating. Uh, I don't remember. I think he says in his article, so you can look it up. 
that uh, the Vikings aren't as willing to do that and that that Justin Jefferson wants guarantees that way or just full-on guarantees rather than guarantees that vest the year of their payout because technically he could get cut and those aren't actually fully guaranteed numbers, right? Um, not that the Vikings would ever cut him, but also, I don't know, two years from now, things could change, right? Daniil Hunter got the back injury and suddenly the idea of paying him became nonsense to a whole bunch of people. Um, I, that's going to be a conversation for February though. And I don't think anything material will happen until February about this. I think you could close your eyes and go to sleep and you won't miss any Jefferson contract news until if, if you don't wake up until February, maybe even March, they'll probably handle Kirk Cousins and Daniel Hunter first. Anyways, those are going to be more urgent things. Uh, if they decide to do anything with either of those players. So, uh, the other contract thing real quick is Josh Metellus. His contract details are out. They are on over the cap. I don't know if um, SpotRack has the same thing. Uh, I also don't think that SpotRack is as good of a source as over the cap, uh, for my money at least. But the total cap number for Josh Metellus is only $9 million, uh, over, or no, I'm sorry, only uh, $7 million over the two years of the extension. So he signed through 2025 for a total of $7 million in additional money. The $13 million figure we got from Schefter the other day just isn't right. So I don't know what happened there. Uh, but unless these numbers aren't right or something like that, but he's making, he's got a, a cap number in 2024 of 2.2 mil and then a cap number of 4.7 mil in 2025 when he'll be 27 years old. But yeah, the uh, 6.5 mil a year is not correct. He's barely making 6.5 mil total in the entire extension. So the number reported is like double what it was. I don't know. Really weird stuff, but worth updating you on. Okay, enough about this contract crap. There's a football game. I watched some tape, uh, and I'm going to tell you what happened on some tape. So we're actually going to get into X's and O's and talk football. Uh, before I do that, however, uh, let's talk about fantasy, which is not football, but you all probably want some advice sometimes, and it's we're actually in it. You've had your drafts, and you've probably lost a game because we're all pretty bad at this. So why don't you take some advice from Vinny Iyer at Locked On Fantasy Football, who's teamed up with eBay Motors to give you some of the best fantasy picks each week, all season long, whether you're prepping for like DFS or the waiver wire, he's going to give you some help. Uh, let's take a quick look at Ramondre Stevenson, who had a, not a great week against the Eagles, but six catches for 64 yards saved his value, and those sort of dual threat running backs can have that kind of higher floor. Hey, if the running game isn't going somewhere, they're probably going to pass more and I'm going to be the outlet and I'm still going to get my stuff. Uh, but maybe he will get going on the ground in week two uh, because they get to play the Dolphins who gave up two bills against the Chargers. And he's got a little bit of burst and a little bit of quickness that might be able to take advantage of a suspect run defense. eBay Motors understands that it is all about what parts fit where, what matchups go in the right place, right? That's how you build a championship team, and it's not unlike how you have to deal with your car. If you need a part, whether it's an air filter, something with the brakes, whatever it is, you need to make sure that you have the perfect fit, and eBay Motors has what you need. Headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever, eBay Guaranteed Fit guarantees that it's going to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at eBay com slash motors ebay guaranteed fit only available to u.s customers eligible items only exclusions apply thanks a million for hanging out everybody thank you to those of you who listen to this show every single day i appreciate you all those of you who are watching the youtube shorts i'm putting up now too appreciate you guys too 
Uh, let's move on to the tape. So I'm going to start with the offense. Uh, I, I finally got through the tape. Been a long week. And what I saw from the offense was in some ways comforting and in some ways concerning. Um, the offensive line, I think, was less concerning than I expected it to be, but there still were some concerns. Ed Ingram, he didn't have a great game. I, there were like five or six mistakes, which might not sound crazy, but for an offensive lineman, that's not good enough. Um, from... I still don't like super hold that fumble against him, but I get like why people are super mad. I don't think it's a fireable offense or anything like that. Uh, but hey, you know, you got beat by Kalijah Kansi really bad once. Like sometimes you just got like smoked one on one. And that, it, like that happened too many times. Uh, but I don't think he played poorer than a backup quality level. And that's what you're getting if you're going out to the free agent market or finding somebody else. Right. Is a backup quality level. Speaking of backups, though, I thought Austin Schlotman was all right. Um, I think they had some trouble setting their protections, in particular against times when the when the edge rushers would back off into into coverage. So the Bucks and the Vikings have similar blitz things where there's a lot of guys on the line of scrimmage and it's who's coming and who's backing off. Right, that's kind of the game you have to play, and the Vikings would call fan protections, which is where everybody blocked the guy to the outside of you. So the Bucks, I think, understood that that's where the Vikings were going to take this. And so they had the outermost guy drop off because, you know, he is going to be outside somebody, right? You know, there's going to be an offensive lineman that is strictly assigned to him. So if he backs off, that guy gets wasted. And now suddenly we get a numbers advantage. That was sort of the philosophy the Bucks took. And they got a bunch of free rushers that way. Um, the question becomes, if Garrett Bradbury is in the game, are they able to adjust things more creatively? Were they hampered by the fact that there was a backup center? And I think that's perfectly fair. Now, the fact that on a short week, preparing with a backup center, having the guy that you prepared with all week is um, going to go a long way toward helping that, not necessarily starter versus backup, but guy who was with the ones all week, you know, and, and who was in the meeting room saying, okay, I'm going to be the one setting these protections and all that is uh, possibly going to make this a little bit easier, but obviously it's not going to be very easy. It's the Eagles. They've got a bit of a D-line over there. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know exactly how creative they need to get with their blitzes or, or what they're doing. I'm going to ask uh, Gino and Louie tomorrow on Locked On, uh, on, the, on the crossover episode about that. Um, and, and just, you know, what's, what's your plan for getting pressure and, and how uh, worried do we have to be about it? But um, in... Just one-on-one, -on -one, like, as a blocking guy. Oh, Schlotman was all right. Uh, in terms of the actual passing game, look, uh, of course, JJ's the guy that stands out. It, in a way that, like, <laughs> you almost don't notice it because it's just so expected by now, and that's what happens with the with the great players in, in the league is they'll do amazing things, and you're like, yeah, normal JJ game. <laughs> but I kind of, I don't want to take it for granted, you know? Uh, got, like, a buck 50? Amazing. Uh, don't talk to me about how he disappeared in the fourth quarter. We ran six offensive plays in the fourth quarter. Like, don't worry about sample size. Um, or like understand the sample size you're worrying about. Maybe that's a better sentence. I think for Hawkinson and Addison in particular, uh, the two guys that are kind of meant to subvert this Justin Jefferson thing, I thought we got what we needed out of them. You know, there was the drive in the second half. Justin Jefferson, I think, caught two passes on it. It was a 17 or 16 play drive. Two passes to JJ. Scored. It was a touchdown drive. 
um, that is a really good sign. You want that to be a thing that can happen. That, you know, hey, we can spread the ball around. We can be an offense that dumps one off to Josh Oliver and then gets one to Hawkinson to convert and then gets one to Addison and then gets one to Osborne. Like we want, and then, you know, there's a, there's a couple of run plays that do well. Like we want to be the offense that can be more multiple than that. Um, I think we got, all got a little bit too crazy when uh, we, we had the year of Stefan Diggs target share discourse. And now any play that doesn't go to Justin Jefferson is like the wrong thing. And it's like, okay, chill. Like there's 11 players on the team. Um, that drive scored. We want to see that facet of the offense be functional. Uh, if you're only ever one guy, you become really easy to defend no matter how good that guy is. So in particular with Addison, who got that touchdown um, where he just it was just a speed touchdown. The, the Bucks played it wrong and he just had to be fast enough to punish it. And he was fast enough to punish it, which is great. And also TJ Hawkinson being a guy that can run vertical threats and the defense treating him that way opened up opportunities for JJ. So that's what we want out of those guys. That is exactly how it's supposed to work in theory. And it did work in theory that way. Um, in terms of the run game, why it didn't do as well. It, it's a play to play question. I, I'm not going to sit here and go over, you know, 25 plays with you, but I'll say somebody missed a block all the time. Sometimes it was Ingram. Sometimes it was Schlopman. Sometimes it was Cleveland. Shoot. It was Darisaw. Sometimes, sometimes it was the running back misreading. Sometimes it was CJ Ham. Uh, somebody, it was just, there just wasn't enough consistency in terms of winning blocks properly. And I also think that there were some misreads by running backs that sort of exacerbate that problem. Um, a good running back read should make the run game forgiving for the offensive line. And I don't think it was forgiving enough for the offensive line. And that kind of brings me now to Kirk. Uh, here's the deal. People always get mad at me when I say this. I don't care. I don't think Kirk had a good one. Guys, uh, I think he was hesitant. I think um, there are a couple of, of moments where you can see him identify the read the way the read is supposed to be identified and throws it late. The interception, he double clutched and then threw it. You know, he he saw it, decided he wanted it, wound up, decided not to throw it and then threw it. And then the ball was a tick late. That thing's delivered on time. It's not a pick in the Vikings. They lost by three. They win that game if that ball's on time. Um, can't blame pressure. Can't blame anything else. Can't make those. Can't make excuses. I know people love to do that. Uh, but there were a lot of moments like that where he identified a throw. And you can look and you say, oh, I see what you saw there. I see why you maybe would have thrown that. And I don't even get, like, I get it if you're identifying a throw and then at the last second you pull it down because you go, oh, wait, no, I don't actually think that's going to be there. There's a safety coming or something like that. But this wasn't that. It was hesitation. It was a lack of confidence. Um, it was not a quieted mind, to uh, borrow a phrase from our lovely head coach. That was not a, a quarterback with a quieted mind. This happens with Kirk. Uh, he's a streaky guy. He'll be super skittish for three games, and then he's going to light up three games that make him look like he could be an MVP candidate, and then he'll dial the chaos up too far and then he'll have to dial it back too far and get super conservative. I mean, this is always what he does, right? This is why I made the chaos meter that I post on Twitter after every game. Um, but yeah, he just needs to make decisions with confidence. I think if he, if he ripped the balls, he wanted to rip in this one, uh, without any hesitation or double clutching or anything like that. If he just threw the passes he meant to throw, I think the, the Vikings win this game. 
Uh, and, and you can blame that on a million. They lost by, you know, one or two plays, right? You can overturn one or two plays in a bunch of ways. And so that's going to be true of a lot of things, not just Kirk, but hey, it is true of this. The defense, however, I, there's a couple of very, very interesting things that happen on defense that I want to make sure that I get to. Uh, but before I do that, the world is getting uh, more dangerous uh, with storms getting worse and stuff like that. And look, we just went through a global pandemic. This kind of stuff has kept happening, and it's not always easy to get the treatment that you need, and it's good to have some first aid emergency supplies on hand. That is what Jace Medical is for. The Jace case, as they call it, has five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. If you have some kind of something happened to you, some kind of injury, and you can't get to the doctor for whatever reason, either because it's flooding outside or just because, oh no, my roommate has the car. Um, this can be something that if you have on hand can save a life. So save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical plus an additional $20 off by using my code locked on at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Also, in the world of daily fantasy football, there is, of course, prize picks, where uh, we'll do, I don't think we're going to be able to do the prize picks, prize picks uh, for the short, the, the sh on the short week, since we have crossover tomorrow, and then that's it. Uh, but we, I'll make some, and I'll maybe, maybe circle back to them on, on Friday, or at least tweet them out, because I have been having so much fun with prize picks this year, uh, with being able to to fall in love with with daily fantasy again the, the game got so boring when you have to put together an entire lineup and compete with thousands of other players a lot of them are sharps that are uh putting in like outlier cases and stuff and it's like you're not really playing a game anymore it's so optimized you're dealing with a spreadsheet uh that's why i love prize picks it's just a more than less than game and you can pick whatever players you want to to play with and then that is it it's just you versus the amount that prize picks has set. And if you can be smarter than prize picks, boom, you can win and you can smash them all together and increase your payout as well. So head on over to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. And the code is also locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy. So there's a couple things on defense that I love and a couple things that I don't love. Um, so let, let me start with something that I am actually super stoked to see. A Caleb Evans is playing flat footed and off coverage. Longtime listeners, everydayers are going to know exactly what I mean by that and why I'm stoked on it. Um, but basically when you're in off coverage and you're lining up at a certain alignment depth, which by the way, my thing from the, uh, the, the recap episode about like adjusting their alignment depths and stuff, I actually just like super do not believe at all, uh, anymore. I don't, I don't think that that was a problem at all. I think I totally misdiagnosed that, which is what happens when you're just watching TV, right? Uh, take everything with a grain of salt. If you want to like really like learn what I truly believe about the game, listen to Wednesday's episodes. Uh, listen to all of them though. Be an everydayer. I love you. Uh, but I digress. Uh, 
the reason I like flat footed and off coverage is because when you're you're given a certain alignment depth, a lot of time that's game plan and it's determined for you. Or sometimes it's it's like it's a conscious choice. I'm going to be seven yards off, nine yards off, 11 yards off. Like you're not just kind of like feeling I'm going to be about this far away. Like you're making a choice about the yard line you line up on. And usually you make that choice based on how much cushion you think that receiver is going to try to use. So when you line up there and then you instinctively backpedal three, four, five yards, you're now sort of betraying that alignment depth. Now, some corners like to do that. They say, my depth, I think you're going to break most of your routes off at 12 yards. I'm going to align at eight and then backpedal so I've got a little bit of momentum if I need it, if I need to turn my hips and run because it's a go route because I'm scared of your speed. Like, that's a thing that 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 you'll do. Some corners will then kind of put a hat on a hat and say, well, I'll align at 12 and I'll backpedal because I'm super scared of the go and you're going to catch a bunch of comebacks in front of me. I think that's bad. I think corners shouldn't do that. Um, Caleb Evans did that a lot when he came in last year. Uh, and I, if I recall, he did it a, a lot in college too. It was just the way that he played. And that's why he got playing time over Andrew Booth was because that is a fairly safe way to play. You'd rather give up the comeback than the go route and a long touchdown, right? So it made him a safer backup player and Hey, it's a little overly conservative and it's going to give up some production, but it'll be contained. Uh, but he's not doing that anymore. This is the next step is flat footed. He just stands there says, come at me. And if I have to turn and run, I feel okay about my athleticism doing that. Come at me. That confidence rules. That is a player playing with confidence. That's a cornerback playing with swagger. And cornerbacks have to have swagger. Otherwise, everything falls apart if you're a corner and you lose your confidence. Um, That's a really big step forward for a Caleb Evans. And the kind of step forward that makes me think, all right, yeah, this this dude's not a backup anymore. That's a starting corner. CB2. That's starting CB2 that belongs on the field, not on the bench. I feel great about that. Um, one of the other things I liked, holy crap, Ivan Pace was like bawling. This is not the preseason anymore. He's still doing stuff, <laughs> swimming over guards and being really evasive and elusive and being really uh, sharp with, with play recognition, crashing in on things quickly, tackling properly, uh, just everything you could ever want a linebacker to be. I, there is a genuine argument that he was the best linebacker on the field for the Vikings in that game. Uh, Brian Asamoa only played two snaps. That's obviously that was like a huge thing. A lot of members of the beat were kind of hinting at that earlier. I wonder if they heard something but didn't want to say it. But uh, and kind of just went, hmm, I wonder if and like kind of say it speculatively and not say it. Sometimes they'll do that. But um, Ivan Pace, I think has played well enough where it becomes, it doesn't become what's wrong with Asamoah. It becomes, oh yeah, no, they can't justify not having this dude on the field. Draft pedigree be damned. Like, they, you cannot justify not having that guy on the field. And the Vikings don't seem to uh, be planning to justify that. Um, I, I, I almost want to do uh, like a whole Patreon on him or something like that. Maybe I'll do it next week uh, because it's really fun. And it's really explosive and disruptive. And that was his first ever NFL game. So you have to imagine it's only uphill from here. Uh, Play calling wise, I'm going to be honest. Some stuff I didn't love from Brian Flores. Uh, Look, he blitzed like 47% of the time. Sometimes that gets burned. Sometimes that gets home. The Bucks countered it in the way that they countered it. I'm at peace with that. And I think Flores is too. Hey, when you blitz that much, you will get beat sometimes. You don't get all of them to be sacks. You're going to win some, lose some. It's the world we live in, and you hope you just kind of come out ahead of things 
on the aggregate, which we did not. Uh, but hopefully over the course of the season, you come out ahead on the aggregate, right? Um, so I'm okay with that, even though I acknowledge the, the sort of fundamental flaws in that they come with the territory. Uh, what I am a little less okay with is all of the inverted cover two. It's a lot of inverted cover two where you, I mean, yeah, like Byron Murphy playing safety alongside Caleb Evans with like, uh, Harrison Smith playing an underneath squat zone. Like that's too cute. And they got burned on it a few times. Just it, the, the reason it's too cute is if like, think about it, Byron Murphy and say Cam Bynum, Cam Bynum lines up where a safety lines up deep, right? Byron Murphy lines up where a corner lines up out wide. And then they switch after the snap. That is a lot of ground to cover before you can even start reading your assignment uh, and, and reacting to your assignment. So it's super, super exploitable. It's something teams will do as sort of a cheeky subversion. It's sort of a defensive tricky move, but they called it like four five times. That's too much. And I don't think it paid a lot of dividends for them. And I think they moved away from it quickly, but not quickly enough. They let up some production that way. And on the whole, there's like a lot of two, uh, a lot of cover two stuff. This is where I should talk about the signals thing. Um, so Florio came out with an article on Wednesday, late Wednesday night about um, the Vikings getting their defensive signals figured out. And apparently it was Rashad White in the locker room uh, at halftime we were told the story in the locker room at halftime of Baker Mayfield saying, hey, I think when they do this, it means that coverage. My guess, because it was the most conspicuous thing that they did, uh, and it's the one I could see on the All-22, uh, was that when they flapped their, their, when they flapped their arms, uh, that meant cover, uh, Tampa 2, which is cover 2, but the middle linebacker drops deeper than usual. Tampa 2. Um Every time they did that, they ran Tampa 2, and Baker Mayfield noticed and said, hey, when they do that, it's Tampa 2. Now, I think they did that two more times in the second half, and then they moved away from it seven minutes into the third quarter. So they might have figured out that they had been made and kind of said, oh, all right, we got to stop doing this signal. Um, uh, But that is something to uh, to be aware of. So if you see them flap their arms again like that as uh, time goes on, then you know they don't listen to Locked On Vikings. <laughs> Because <laughs> I think the Vikings have to move away from that one. So I hope somebody read that Florio article. Um, but it's, I don't, I'm not too alarmed by it. I mean, that was a very conspicuous thing. And it's like a wholesale coverage change. Like that's a full on audible. And it's always to the same coverage every time. So having a, sim, a sim signal that's that readable, that means Tampa 2, you're just begging to get figured out. Um, I don't know, maybe they'll go do it and it'll be like a blitz look and they'll like super, super, super get somebody. But that would actually be kind of fun. And if that's the case, that's like the most galaxy brain thing ever. <laughs> God, that would rule. But uh, re- really, it's like probably not that big of a deal. And also grain of salt here, because I'm only going on what I can see on the broadcast copy and on the all 22 copy, which doesn't show the entire setup process. It doesn't show the huddle and getting into it. A lot of times the defenders will be signaling stuff to each other while the offense is still getting set up. And um, those signals might be the information that Baker was using, but the, that that's all cut off in the copy that I get to see. Uh, so grain of salt with that as well. 
Tomorrow is going to be Crossover Thursday. I'm talking to the guys from Locked On Eagles. I love talking to those guys. They are definitely two of my favorite uh, hosts to cross over with. So looking forward to that conversation. And then, uh, I mean, there's a game tomorrow. So we'll do the uh, postcast and I'll have some YouTube shorts and stuff, and then we'll recap it on Friday. I'll see you all for that. And as always, Skull.